Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Daily Premier League action and reaction. This is Football Social Daily. In the 1800s, a fella called Darwin wrote a theory on evolution. In 2022, a fella called Darwin arrived at Liverpool as the face of their latest regeneration, but in a moment of madness at Anfield last night, he may have set back his side a few stages in the process. Nunez sent off for a headbutt on Crystal Palace's Jakim Anderson in a game which finished one apiece thanks to a stunner from Luis Diaz. Ten-man Liverpool snatching a point against Palace to salvage something. No Nunez now for three games and injuries to contend with two for the Reds. Are they already in danger of leaving a gap too big to chase down at the top of the Premier League? Manchester United, their next opponents, a side who couldn't be further away from the summit than they are now. New players desperately needed, with the likes of Jamie Vardy linked to a move to Old Trafford. But is that really the answer at a club dredging such depths as United are right now? We'll come on to that as well as the latest top flight transfer gossip, with Chelsea still striving for an Everton youngster, but could one of their own young stars be on the way out? All of that to come on Football Social Daily, the award-winning and only daily Premier League podcast. My name's Niall and joining me today, Newcastle United fan Marley Anderson and Manchester City supporter Matt Peard. Morning, boys. Morning. Good morning. Now, we had Thomas Tuchel and Antonio Conte going at it on Sunday. Nunez laying a Glasgow kiss on Anderson on Monday. Can I expect some sort of WWE-style ladder match between you two today. <laughs> I'm Jeff Hardy, by the way. I'll, I'll be the big show, absolutely not comfortable up a ladder. <laughs> That's not a true reflection on your size, Marley. You're just absolutely <laughs> not. I couldn't be further from the big show, to be fair. But uh, yeah, once once you put me up a ladder, it's like uh, you might as well be uh, the same person. I have seen the big show in person. Freakish, honestly. The guy is just, I didn't know humans could be that big. But anyway, we're not here to talk about WWE. They don't actually, do they headbutt each other in WWE? I'm not sure they do, do they? 
Yeah. <laughs> there was a wrestler that used to do that, <laughs> but he, he doesn't really get spoke about too much nowadays. <laughs> oh, well, of course. Yeah, I think I know who you're referring to. Um, it wasn't that kind of headbutt last night, though, because that's the main talking point from yesterday's Premier League action. At Anfield, Liverpool won, Crystal Palace won the final score Monday night football, given us more like Monday night raw with Darwin Nunez with that head, uh, that header. It was a headbutt on uh, Yakim Anderson. But let's, before we get on to that, talk about the game itself because it's more drop points for Liverpool as their wait for the first win of the Premier League season continues into next week. My question, Marley, is should Liverpool have won with the chances they had? Yes, uh, they should. They they had plenty of chances. They dominated the game. Um, but Palace, Palace had a game plan. You know, they came with five at the back. I don't think I've ever seen Palace play with five at the back. Um but they 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 came to do what they did and you know f- frustrate um liverpool keep it tight um as much as they could um and hopefully hit on the counter attack because they've got a lot of pace on the counter um and the goal they scored was brilliant to be fair it was brilliant football as a you know pulling that ball down out the air and skinning two in in the space of two touches like nipping between them and you know slipping it past the center back who's um, you know, Zaha got on the shoulder of, of Nat Phillips, stayed away from Van Dyke, obviously, for obvious reasons. Um, and then, you know, Nat Phillips hasn't played for Liverpool for God knows how long, and he was just that little split second, um, you know, off the pace, and, and Zaha slipped it in. And from then on, you know, the, the belief is there, but I think Liverpool always looked likely to get a, to get a goal back with the amount in the game they were, they were dominating, but, you know, they, they missed a lot of chances and they weren't the best thanks to injuries and, and all sorts of little things. And then Nunes let the frustration get the better of him. Um, if Liverpool are 1-0 up, he, he wouldn't do that. <laughs> but the 1-0 down is a young lad and he, he gets, he just gets old manned, I think, by, by Anderson, who just goes, right, well, I'm just going to wind him up for the rest of the game and we'll see what he does. Um, and then that's it. The rest is history. You know, Diaz pulled them out the pulled them out of the fire really with the um with that brilliant goal to to nick them a point and they had chances to win it but couldn't get it over the line and and all of a sudden they're you know five points behind man city already in the uh in the title race which is very much on yeah i mean let's get on to the headbutt then before we even talk about the rest of the match because that is the key talking point despite the fact luis diaz scored a special goal to equalize we will talk about that diaz strike too but first jürgen klopp said it was like there was a witch in the building this week so you can file that in the latest excuses that jürgen klopp's had in the old folder stick that in there witchcraft is the latest one um but in all seriousness as you mentioned marley nat phillips wouldn't have been the the first choice to start alongside Virgil van Dijk in the heart of defence. He says that the reason it feels like there was a witch in the building is just purely the amount of injuries to his players. That's not helpful, but now they're going to be without Darwin Nunez for three matches due to an idiotic headbutt on Yakim Anderson. And I'm sure, Matt, you might have seen the videos doing the rounds on social media this morning of Yakim Anderson just being old school, like what Marley said. You know, a few little nudges here and there, kind of a little bit of shirt pulling, just, just... really trying to frustrate and wind up Darwin Nunez. And it didn't take a great deal of effort from Yakim Anderson to annoy Nunez to the point where he decided to lay a headbutt on him. 
Yeah, absolutely right. Do you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of um, when England played Portugal in the World Cup in 2006, where you've seen Cavalio and all the old school Portuguese players all winding up Rooney because they knew that he had that in his locker. They knew that he could lose his head at any moment and get himself sent off, which obviously he did. And, you know, Nunes just fell for the oldest trick in the book. You know, the, the older, more experienced centre-half and the, the young centre-forward have some, having something to prove on his home debut, really wanting to get off the mark. You know, obviously he scored against Fulham, so he's going to want to... There's, there's a little bit of competition sort of with Haaland as well so maybe he wanted to draw a level with him and obviously we've seen it it was it was building up to it the, uh, they did the, the analysis afterwards on um, Monday Night Football and it was way before the headbutt you could see there was a little battle going on between them both a few tough tackles here and there and a few like words said between them and you see Nunez going in for the, the first headbutt which obviously the referee missed and then Anderson obviously brought it to the ref's attention. Ref staring right at them both. And then Nunes thinks, oh, it's all right. I'm just going to stick it right on his chin. Now he won't see anything. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's just, it was daft. It was just a moment of madness. And he um, he, he, he let his teammates down majorly last night. And he'll know that himself. Um, but it's how he learns from these things that's going to, you know, it's going to count in the future. Like I said, he's still a young player. Um, Uruguayans have that bit of fire about him. Like Obviously, we had it with Suarez at Liverpool and, you know, we've seen it with Nunes and it's not it's not a bad thing, it's just knowing how to control it. You can play on the edge, but when it's when it starts affecting your your team in, you know, games like against Crystal Palace where the one nil up and they're frustrating you and they're trying to catch you on the counter attack, the last thing you want is to go down to ten men. And, you know, they, they they got the point, Liverpool, and they'll be obviously glad that they didn't get beat on the night, but with Nunes up front and they've got eleven men, I think they could have went on to beat Palace, but you know, um his history will tell you that it was a draw and uh he did what he did and he got himself sent off. So, yeah, he'll have to learn from it. And I'm sure Klopp would have had words with him as well. I've heard the term learning curve used a few times, you know, after this situation, Marley, of Nunez headbutting Anderson. Is there any concern, do you think, from Liverpool supporters that this is just how easy it is to wind him up? Because the whole Premier League would have seen that last night. They would have been watching that situation, that incident, the tussle between the two players. And now every single centre-back that comes up against Liverpool's Nunez is going to be like... I'm going to wind him up. Do you think it is a learning curve or do you think it's just uh, now an opportunity for opposition players to look at this guy and think, well, you know, here's here's a chink in the armour? Yeah, it, it could be. It depends how he reacts to it, I suppose. He's, he's got to learn from it and, and, you know, keep his cool in the future. I think I think last night, you know, it always takes a centre-back to, to sort of press him and to try and find out what he's like and how he reacts in certain situations. So... If it wasn't Anderson doing this this week, it might be, you know, it might be Harry Maguire next. Well, <laughs> assuming Harry Maguire can get near him, um, it might be that Lissandro Martinez going and chipping away at his heels or something like that. Well, he's not going to play because he's been sent off, so he's not going to even be yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if it, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like if it wasn't Anderson, it would have been someone else. You know, it it might be, but now everybody knows and everybody can contest him again. So it's how he uh, responds to. To it in the future when he does get uh, get back and get back in the team and what have you. So it's um, it's silly, but I think it's also the step up in uh, in the in the competition. You know, Portugal. I don't think Portugal has VAR. I don't think. Um, and you know, could he could he have maybe got away with that in in a, in a previous league? I, I don't know. He, he might think about it, and or he might have just lost his lost his head totally and, and gone for him no matter what happened. But it's just one of them where, like, we've seen it with, like, Mitrovic, for example, um, years ago. I think Newcastle sold him because they just couldn't rely on him. He needs to, like, not do that um, and not get into that thing where his reputation precedes him. 
Um, because every centre back in the league will be lining up to leave little challenges on him and and push him and you know just annoy him basically and get him booked and then maybe get him sent off. So it's up to him now. He's got to he's got to mature really quickly because now his cards marked. Everybody will be looking at that and saying, well, if if Anderson can do it, well, you know we've got a centre back that can do it, and we'll even waste a couple of centre backs sticking bad. Bad challenges on him and getting booked to to wind him up and and do it again. Okay, no new Ness next week against Manchester United for Liverpool. That game is also on Monday night next week, and one player who, as Marley said, pulled it out of the fire for Liverpool was Luis Diaz. Special solo goal for his equaliser. I mean, how important could he prove to be for Liverpool in the context of this season, particularly now that they've got Nunez out? For the next three games, it almost feels like there's more emphasis on him, Matt, to perform. Yeah, exactly. Um, he's such a raw talent, Luis Diaz, and he's still very young, which is quite frightening, really, considering the talent that he's got. I mean, the goal that he scored last night, it come out of absolutely nothing. It's just one of those moments where, you know, from a Palace point of view, you can't say you can really do much about it. You know, he, he beat two or three players, got to the edge of the box, was going away from goal and just killed it right into the far corner. You know, give the keeper no chance. So all you can do there is just stand up and applaud it. And when they lost uh, Sadio Mane to Bayern Munich, everyone was banging on about it being this massive loss. And of course, Sadio Mane is a quality player, so it's going to be a big loss to Liverpool. But I don't think it's as big a loss as what people were making out because you've still got Luis Diaz, you've still got Mo Salah, you know, they signed Darwin Nunes, and you've got Roberto Firmino that can play there as well when he's fit. So he's definitely going to be important for Liverpool this season. Like I said, he's got his really raw talent. He's just he's so quick. He's so aggressive. It's not just his attacking play, his defensive play. I seen him last night winning the ball back up the pitch. It's like he doesn't stop. He's like a Duracell body. The guy just keeps running and running and running. It's like he's just got energy for days. So he, he fits Liverpool's style absolutely perfectly. And for the money that they paid for him, is an absolute steal. I seen him score against City in the Champions League for Porto. And I knew they had something special on their hands there. And I was just hoping that, you know, he went somewhere else rather than like to an Athletic Madrid or something like that and not gone to a, a title rival in Liverpool. But he's here now and it's good for the league that you've got someone like him there. He's um really special talent, like I said, and he's he's got a lot of years ahead of him. So he's going to be a really important player for Liverpool if they are going to drag themselves out of this little rut that they're in at the moment. So let's 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 put that out there. I think it's now the, the sixth league game in a row where they've conceded first and that's something that Klopp's going to have to address because, you know, they've been up there the last two or three seasons they've won league titles they've won Champions Leagues but you've got to start off quick in this league Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher were saying last night it's almost mad that we're talking about Liverpool dropping points at this point in the season being important but this is the standards that City and Liverpool have set like with their points that they've got you know and you know they've dropped a point against Fulham they've dropped a point against Palace City have won two now so that puts them you know at four points ahead so that that could be something like at the end of the season that counts, but you know there's a long there is a long way to go. But it does feel like if Liverpool don't win their next game, it's a, obviously every game's a, a must win game for them. But next game, absolutely they have to win. They and they have to win it with authority as well. They have to get that goal difference up. Are you on board with that as well, Marley? Because I agree with what Matt's saying here. You know we're only two games into the Premier League season, but. Things have been so close between Liverpool and Manchester City in the last few years. We've seen titles won by just a single point. Seasons going down to the final day of the campaign to decide who lifts the trophy. And yet the gap is already four points and we're only two games in. Do you think Liverpool have got enough to claw it back? Do you think the difference of four points will prove telling come the end of the term? Um, I, I still think it's it's too early to say, oh, they can't come back from this because there's still, you know, 34, well, what, 36 games to go. So... 
you're talking like 108 points still to play for. It's like, it's not, you know, it's it's not over by any stretch. And, you know, Liverpool can always say as well, look, if, if everyone wins every game from now to the end of the season and we beat Man City twice, we can still hold them in, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's it's not over, but it is psychologically, it's pretty big because I was saying yesterday on, on the podcast that teams, teams who win the title don't lose many points these days. You know, you're talking you know, three draws and two defeats or something like that to will will be enough to, to put you out of the title race. Um and Liverpool will be sort of thinking, right, well, you know, we started off terribly here and uh Man City will be even better. With those statistics in mind that you say, three draws and two defeats, that means they've only got three games left of the season in which they can afford to drop points. Yeah. Well, it's crazy. I mean, it's probably wow. it's probably a little bit more than that. To be fair, like I've probably overdone it a little bit, but I, that's not saying that. For example, Man City could still get a hundred points. Like if they got a hundred points from now, City would uh, Liverpool would have to go and get a hundred and five from now to go and to beat them. You know what I mean? So, and nobody would put Man City getting a hundred points out of the question. You know, they've done it before. They've got 99 as well, I think, before, or 98, whatever it was. 98 it was. Yeah, yeah 98 and, and 100. So, you know, and they didn't have uh, the players they have now with Haaland and, and Grealish and a left-back coming in and stuff like that. And, you know, it's um, the the bar is staggeringly high. Um, so these, these little drop points at the start of the season, they can be blown out of proportion. But, you know, there's... There's still a lot of meaning to them because it's not like, not like you're going to win the the league with 85 points and you can lose seven games and draw another nine and still be all right. It's you know it's it's not like that anymore. Liverpool won. Crystal Palace won in the Premier League last night. In all fairness to Crystal Palace, we said that the Eagles have a tidy record against the top six and that proves so again yesterday. Next up for Liverpool, Manchester United at Old Trafford. And Marley says the bar couldn't be much higher in the top flight right now. Well, things couldn't really get much lower for United, could they? We'll be talking about them next after this here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily from Sports Social, your daily Premier League show. Don't forget, if you hit subscribe to this podcast, you won't miss another episode again. And you also won't miss a new episode of our new podcast, Football Social Daily Shots. It's only seven minutes every day, rounding up all of the things that the main Football Social Daily pod, this nice long form podcast, maybe didn't pick up. So just keeping you in the loop with all of the latest top flight news and gossip. So make sure you hit subscribe to get that. Going to talk about Manchester United now, who could not really have got off to a worse start under their new manager, Eric Ten Hag. Losing 4-0 to Brentford was even a shock to the most pessimistic Manchester United supporters. They lost the opening game against Brighton. It's almost as if nobody knows exactly how United solved these issues. But one thing I think that is unanimous from United supporters and neutrals is that they need to sign some new players. And yesterday and today, there have been some links between Manchester United and some new arrivals at the club. Atletico Madrid's Mateus Cunha is the latest name. What are your thoughts on that one, Marley? A young striker playing his trade in Spain. It makes the most sense of any player I've seen linked with him so far. Um, you look at the last couple of weeks and Arnautovic linked and, uh, 
you know, Vardy linked today, which we're probably going to come on to in a little bit. But I think with with Cunha, it, it does work a little bit better. I think he's he's a better age. He's I don't know if he's the 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 perfect fit for Man United. I think he's you know he's he's quite like skillful and likes a ball to feet. And sort of if you think of Premier League centre forwards, you think of powerful sort of can lead the line type of type of players. I think Cunha tends to drop a bit deeper and get involved and and dribble and pass a bit, but you know, anyone's better than what Man United have got at the minute. You know, they're not they're not sorting this Ronaldo situation anytime soon. Everyone kind of probably expects him to leave still, I would say. I think more people expect him to leave now than than they do expect him to stay. So, you know, they need a replacement, whoever it may be, but um this Cunha's got a, a ton of skill. He's kinda of similar, I think, a little bit to Firmino, but a, with a bit more of a an eye for goal, I would say. Um so I mean, it makes sense if they can get him in for the right fee. I mean, it still doesn't, you know, cover over the cracks that that are in Man United's team. They still need a midfield and and probably another couple of defenders and ideally a goalkeeper as well. But you know, as a starting point, you know, start at the top and work your way back. If that's what you want to do, then fine. But this this does make sense a little bit more than anyone else. But I'm not sure what the fee is being linked as, but. I think they're in a position where they just need to spend money and, and try and get themselves out of this. As you mentioned, Marley, Jamie Vardy has also been linked with a surprise move to Old Trafford. The Leicester City striker is into his, I think, 11th or 12th season at the club now. He's been a Leicester City legend, over 100 Premier League goals. He's still, you know, as sprightly as ever at 35 years of age. But despite the fact that he's still doing it and he's still a, a very talented player who does know where the back of the net is, Matt, is the fact that Jamie Vardy's 35 years of age and he's being linked with a move to Manchester United somewhat of a case in point of their recent poor business? Yeah, it just shows where they're at now in terms of, you know, what the dealings in the transfer market. It just screams desperation. Let's be realistic. That's no offence to Jamie Vardy because like you've just said there rightly now, the guy's a legend, over 100 Premier League goals. He's come to the Premier League, you know, in his his sort of like twilight years of his career, like 27, I think it was when he came in. And, you know, look what he's done. He's won FA Cups, he's won Premier Leagues, he's played in the Champions League, he's played in Europa League. The guy is an absolute legend. Let's just be real about that now. But to go to Manchester United now, 35 years old, and I don't think I don't think it'd be the right move for him. I think I don't think he'll go anywhere near that Jamie Vardy. I think he'll <laughs> he doesn't want to risk his reputation going there. And look, I mean, they're a bigger club. Let's 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 not be beat around the bush. They are a bigger club. Manchester United historically a bigger club, but it's it's almost as if like the, the it's like a curse. Like if you go to United right now, I mean, look at Harry Maguire before he went to United, one of England's best centre halves, and now he's just like a walking meme, isn't it? I mean, he, he doesn't go the right way in in the tunnel when he's he's the captain. He doesn't walk the right way into the dressing room, and like people are just picking up on stuff like this. And it's just, I mean, as a Man City fan, I'm just going to say right now, ha-ha, because they made my life a misery when I was growing up in school. But it, I can't believe the situation that they're in right now. I mean, they've chucked all this money at it since Fergie left. They've spent over a billion pounds since Fergie left. And, you know, it just seems to have gradually got worse. They've gone through all these managers. And, you know, Ten Hag has come from a club like Ajax where he's, he's been lauded and he's, he's had this system there and he's had these players that are willing to die for him on the pitch. And then you go into Manchester United where there's just this toxic atmosphere, you know, from, from the fans to the players. And it, I I switched it on on um, on Saturday after about half an hour and I, I'd seen it 4-0 and I had to do a double take. 
And I thought, 4-0 after half an hour, like, I, I couldn't imagine, like, what them players must have been thinking or what them fans must have been thinking because, obviously, we knew it was bad, but I don't think any of us would have, you know, put any amount of money on Bournemouth being 4-0 up after half an hour. So, Ten Hag's got a lot of work to do and there's only so much time now he's got to address the situation with the, you know, his squad. You know, he's he's got Ronaldo there that's huffing and puffing that's, you know, he, he wants to terminate his contract. He wants out. He, he just needs to go because, yeah, he had that one season last season where he was probably their best player and, you know, without him, they probably would have finished a little bit lower in the league. So, adios, Cristiano. You know, you've, you've, you've done your business in your one season. Go and play your trade elsewhere. Um, United needs to look to the future now and like he was just saying about Cunha there, he's only 23 years old. He's... He's what he's what he's what United need right now. United need fresh, new talent. They don't need to be going after these players like you know like a Ronaldo or Jamie Vardy. Knight said no disrespect, but he's thirty five. He's he's only going to stay there one season, isn't it? And then what? You know what I mean? What after that? They need to address it. They need to address it now because United are sitting bottom of the Premier League. They've made the worst start to the season since the nineteen twenties. That's over a hundred years. So things are it's not like, oh, it's 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 only it's only gonna get better from here. No, 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 no. They could be bottom of the league by the end of August. They've got Liverpool coming up next, that old Trafford. And recently Liverpool have absolutely spanked them when they've played them. They've outclassed them all over the pitch. United fans are actually scared of playing Liverpool right now. I've spoke to a few United fans and they're like, I'm not gonna bother watching it. Uh, I had a ticket and I've sold it, I don't want to watch. Do you know what I mean? It's like almost like a horror film when you know there's a bad scene coming up and you look away. That's how it feels for Manchester United right now. So United need to move quickly in the transfer market. If they want to go and get Cunha, go and get Cunha. Pay what Atletico Madrid are asking because there is money there to be spent. We've seen it. So it's not like as if United are operating on a shoestring budget. They've got the money. They've got the funds. Go and get it. Don't waste your time. Like the Frankie de Jong situation, how much time have they wasted with that? And now look at it. It's an absolute joke of a situation. They need to act and they need to act now. Otherwise, you know, Ten Hag is risking... Obviously, his reputation as well, and United's reputation as a club. It's not irreversible damage. I think that's important to mention because Arsenal were bottom of the table after three games last season, minus nine goal difference, and they still managed to finish fifth come the end of the campaign. So it is fixable. However, it does look bad at the moment, doesn't it, for Manchester United? And you say that you wonder what those fans at Brentford would have been thinking. I'm not one to advocate for leaving any football match early. I think that if you are a supporter of a team, you have to stay till the end and take your medicine. You stay there with the highs, you stay there with the lows, but I wouldn't have begrudged any supporters that maybe decided to duck out of Brentford early and head back to the Express Tavern, which is a cracking little boozer on Kew Bridge, by the way. So if you're ever heading to Brentford away, make sure you get yourself to the Express Tavern, good pub for uh, for a few beers before the match. You mentioned Ten Hag's reputation there, Matt. He had the players run 13 kilometres the morning after the Brentford game in 35 degree heat. Do you think he would have been shocked at the start, Marley? And maybe shocked as well at just how difficult the Premier League is? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He's looking at Brentford and going, this isn't Sparta Rotterdam. This isn't <laughs> go-ahead Eagles and here and Veen. These these will actually turn up and play. Like, No disrespect for, to the Eredivisie League, but you know the, the, the bottom teams in there really don't hold any candle to to PSV and Ajax and, and Feyenoord it's 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 I mean it's almost like Scotland in terms of like the gulf well, between even you say that PSV are playing Rangers today I they think are, yeah. to Tonight, yeah. determine a place in the in, in the Champions League so you know that kind of answers your own question almost yeah clash of the the Vans Van Bronckhorst against Van Nistelrooy which makes me feel old because I remember them both in the playing days but that's the way it is now um but yeah, I mean, look, Ten Hag is 
especially after pre-season. Pre-season was good for Man United. You know, they, they smashed Liverpool, um, even though it was Liverpool's much, much changed uh, squad. But it still breeds um, breeds confidence. They beat Crystal Palace pretty comfortably. They were they looked really good in that game, and Palace did play a strong team. And then you know it came down to the real the real thing, and it's all gone you know belly up very very quickly. So he'll he'll be thinking, God, this is a bigger job than I thought. But I'm I don't think he's thick. You know he he knew it was a big job anyway, uh, and he wouldn't have got carried away with the uh, with the preseason stuff, but. It will have just like totally eroded that confidence that they, that they had from from the tour of of Australia or Thailand or wherever they they played Palace and Liverpool. So um, it's it's just a reminder of how big it is. You know, he has to get he has to get um, bodies in. You know, that's I don't think these players can be coached quickly enough to make an impact on this season. Like McTominay and Fred in in centre midfield. You know how many. How many coaches have they had over the last, you know, five six years since they've been there? It's it's not enough. You're not going to get the best out of them. You've got to go and get someone, and you've got to be active in the transfer market. But as soon as you go upstairs at Man United, that's where the problems start because they don't have a clue. What does Ten Hag do then? So nine days between the Brentford game and the Liverpool game. I mean, what what's he going to say to the players? What does he do? I mean, like I say, he made him made the players run 13 kilometers on the morning after the Brentford game in the middle of the heat wave, and I think someone said that 13 kilometers was the difference in distance between what Brentford ran and what Manchester United ran, and maybe he was just trying to get the players to to make up for the fact that they didn't run as much as they should have done in that game. I don't know, that's just speculation, but what does he say, Marley? How does he how does he Get these players geared up for Liverpool. Bloody hell, I don't know. These, these shouldn't look... he gearing up to be fair though, should they? He should be already there, but that's the problem. But they're destroyed, yeah. aren't they? Their confidence is is shattered. Yeah, I think to be fair, Man United, uh, Man United might, might be entering a few players in the London Marathon. The amount of uh, distance they're going to cover around the <laughs> around the training ground, because uh, if once Liverpool get their hands on them, you know it could be. It could be anything. Liverpool have got a point to prove as well. They're coming off the back of, of two bad results. So they're going to really want to smash Man United even more than they, they already ha- um, have in, in previous years when they've put five past him two or three times. So it's... Uh, I don't know. I think Ten Hag's sort of main um, objective is, is to maybe sort of use the Brentford defeat as like an, as sort of embarrassment and thinking like, there has to be a reaction. Like so, you you get it often at clubs. You know when they get battered, they come out and and next week they're they're way way better because they they've come off the back of the this embarrassing defeat. And you know it doesn't get more embarrassing really with respect to Brentford. But Brentford away beating you four nil and being four nil up at half time is is staggering. So he has to hope there's a bit of professionalism about the players um, and they react you know well. But the problem is they're playing it. A Liverpool team that have been on a poor run themselves. So, you know, even if Liverpool were, you know, the, the normal Liverpool that they've been used to in the last couple of years, you know, it was hard enough then. So having a, an extra motivated Liverpool to come to your own backyard and, and smash you about a bit, you know, especially as well, you've even got the, the fans staging a walkout. So there's even stuff in the background distracting you away from it. But it could get worse before it gets better, but I think he has to hope that they're they're so embarrassed they come out and play, you know, that extra ten or fifteen percent better because they're going to need it against Liverpool. 
Well, Manchester United, so much going on there. As Marley says, massive game for them next Monday against Liverpool. That's their next Premier League match. Just a couple of updates when it comes to Manchester United. Uh, Atletico Madrid's Mateus Cunha is heavily linked to the move to the club. Jamie Vardy also linked. James Garner looks like he could be on his way out of the club. Hannibal Mejbri is going to go on loan to Birmingham, we believe. And also Cristiano Ronaldo is now officially up for sale, if you believe some of the latest uh, newspaper reports today. I'm sure we'll have more on Manchester United and their transfer business between now and the end of the window, of which there is just two weeks left. So we're going to do a bit of a roundup for you next. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. This is Football Social Daily, part three of today's show. I'm Niall, I've got Marley and Matt alongside me and it's time to talk transfers now because we're in the final fortnight of the summer transfer window in the Premier League. 1st of September is the official closing date and we're going to talk Newcastle now who are allegedly interested in Chelsea's Conor Gallagher and Watford's Joao Pedro. So Marley, you're the Newcastle supporter amongst us. If you could only choose one of those new arrivals... Who would you rather have and why? What do Newcastle need if it was between someone like Gallagher and someone like Joao Pedro? Uh, I think what we we need an attacker more than we need another midfielder. But of the two players, you'd pick Conor Gallagher in a heartbeat, wouldn't you? I think his his um, his promise and his his potential is is huge. I think he's you know, the goals he gets from midfield, the energy he brings to teams is is superb. And you look at how Chelsea are set up and, and who they're trying to buy and all the rest of it. I don't think they're gonna get the best out of out of Conor Gallagher. I think he's gonna come off the bench with 10, 15 minutes to go every week. And is he gonna be happy doing that? He's probably got eyes on going to the World Cup uh, and a very realistic chance of going to the World Cup if he if he's playing regularly. So if you look at that, I'd, I'd probably say him but Thomas Tuchel says he loves Conor Gallagher. Yeah. Is that just is that just manager posturing or yeah, is, he has to say that. is there a legitimate case for Conor Gallagher to play more games for Chelsea this season? Because he started pretty much every game for Palace last season. Well, there's there's a legitimate case for him to play more games, but is he going to? Like, does he fit that Chelsea system? It, it all comes back to to how Chelsea play, and you know we mentioned it with uh, with Keith from the Blue Day last week that um, it doesn't it doesn't get the best out of too many players Chelsea system, but he, he seems to to stick with it Tuchel and he seems seems to love it but two centre midfielders in front of a back three I don't think Gallagher fits in there perfectly I think in Chelsea's system he probably fits in, in one of the roles supporting the centre forward but you know there's Sterling there there's Pulisic there there's Ziyech there you know the, they all might leave there's Mason Mount there there's, there's plenty of players in and around him for that position so I think he does need to to go somewhere else or to get actual sort of guarantees from from Tuchel that he's going to get games because he, he is in with a shot of going to the World Cup so he needs to go and play but I'd love him at I'd love him at Newcastle um he's probably one of the probably the standout young player in the country to be honest um yeah but I mean there's Joe Pedro as well I'm not not gonna claim to have spent too much time watching Watford last season but you know, I think a seventeen million pound bid has already went in and been rejected. So, you know, it'd be another one of those cases of of the the team sort of setting the price and, and sticking with it. And I don't know whether that's twenty five, thirty million or whatever, but f- that much for a for a player who 
you know, didn't really catch the eye too much in the Premier League is is a little bit high, in my opinion. Yeah, I think he's only 20 years of age as well, Joao Pedro. So maybe that's why the fee is yeah. going to be a little bit more just because of the potential that, that is there. Uh, staying with Chelsea, Marcos Alonso looks like he's going to sign for Barcelona for around £6 million. Do you think that a departure for Alonso is largely down to the fact that they've just signed Mark Kukurea from Brighton and Ben Shilwell is coming back to fitness as well. Do you think that there just happens to be too many left-backs now and Alonso is bottom of the pecking order? Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. He's been at Chelsea for a number of seasons now. You know, he's won so many trophies there. I think it's just time for him to go and uh, seek pastures new and go and play somewhere else. And obviously going back to, you know, his origins, his um, his country, you know, he's, he's, he's going to want to go there. Nice weather. Going to play for an, uh, a historic club like Barcelona, why? Why would he not? You know what I mean? He's six million. You know, it's 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 nothing really in today's market. But, you know, you mentioned about the situation at Barcelona there. But we won't go too much into that one. I think it makes sense for both parties. Like you said, Kukure has just gone to Chelsea. He's going to be there. Sort of like first choice left back now along with Chilwell. He's not going to want to sit there now, Marcus Alonso, and wait for one of them two to get injured to start being part of the rotation. No, I think I think Marcus Lonzo has played his trade now at Chelsea. He's done everything he really can do there. He's been a great player for him. Um, one of the best set-piece takers I've I've watched in, in recent seasons. Yeah, I think it makes perfect sense for him to go to Barcelona now and go and, uh, go and do some stuff over there, go and create some more history for them over there. Yeah, he's been in England a long time, hasn't he? Bolton, Sunderland, Chelsea. So, you know, he, he's spent a decent time in uh, in the Premier League over the years. If you've been at Bolton and Sunderland, you deserve a move to Barcelona at some point. <laughs> <laughs> you've um, got to have that karma in the bank. I, I always wonder how these transfer deals work. We know Chelsea are discussing a Frankie de Jong move with Barcelona, as are Manchester United, but... Do they speak to the same people? Are they sort of two separate email chains? I've no idea how it works. I can't profess to know a great deal about transfers, but I always find it a little bit suspicious when you hear newspaper reports say the two deals aren't related. It's like, well, of course they're related. They're speaking to the same people. And it wouldn't be surprising if Chelsea say, we'll give you Marcos Alonso for a cheaper price if you give us Frankie de Jong for a cheaper price. You know, of course these things and these discussions go on. You'd be foolish to think they don't. Um, Again, Chelsea very much... The, the, the title name, I suppose you could say, in the transfer market over the last few weeks in particular, um, Anthony Gordon, the Everton winger, uh, is certainly on their radar. They put a bid in for £40 million for the youngster, Marley. It was rejected. And Everton quite clearly saying, we want to keep hold of Anthony Gordon. And you can understand why. They've lost their first two games of the Premier League season. They do look like they need some work. However, Chelsea are going to go back in with 45, according to the latest reports. I mean, you can tell by your boy's reaction there uh, at the numbers. That's quite a lot of money for someone who's relatively unproven in the Premier League, isn't it? I must be missing something here. I I don't know what that is all about. 40 million? What? Um, 45 what's he, what's he done ran a lot what's he done in the game yeah nothing <laughs> I don't think he's been a regular for, for a season he looks yeah he looks quick and that's it I think he scored four Premier League goals last season I don't understand like if I was Callum Hudson-Odoi or, or Ziyech or Pulisic and Chelsea were trying to buy him to play in my position I'd be banging on the manager's door saying just let me go now because I'm not having this kid come in having scored barely any goals, had one season in the Premier League, produced three times as many dives as he did goals scored. And then you, you're going to go and piss away 45 million on him. It's, it's bizarre. I, I don't get it at all. Like, I don't, 
I get that he's got potential, but to go and chuck 45 million quid at him and then, you know, gamble him, gamble on him sort of producing that is just madness. I don't, I don't get this at all. I, I think as well, like in terms of him as well, you know, he's a young scouse lad. I think he's probably li- living his dream playing for Everton. I can't imagine him in, in London sort of bouncing around into that Chelsea dressing room being like, yeah, I'm, I'm having the sort of character to be one of the best players. I just don't get it. I, not No part of it makes sense. But they've got players of a similar style. They've got Callum Hudson-Odoi who wants to leave, according to reports. I mean, it's just like, does Chelsea really need to spend £45 million on a young English winger no when they've got an academy that is more than capable of producing players that can fit that criteria i'd say there's there's at least six or seven wingers in that academy that are as good as or definitely have more potential than anthony gordon you've seen what chelsea producing in recent years you know the likes of reese james coming through and conor gallagher and billy gilmore and you know tammy abraham and players like this you know they're, they're worth 40, 50 million plus. I remember yeah, a couple Munich, of years yeah. ago, Hudson Odoi was wanted like heavily by by Bayern Munich for fifty million, and they were like, "No, no, no, we're gonna we're gonna keep him. You know, we're gonna we're gonna make him big part of the the future of Chelsea Football Club." And you know, two years down the line, I'd be ripping his hair out. Yeah, where is he? <laughs> I don't think he's even featured in in squads. So it's crazy. It's just a crazy, crazy I don't, I don't thing. Get, I don't get it either. I mean, I know I'm supposed to kind of be somewhat no. of a of a mediator on the podcast to try and get opinions, but I just I just don't see how it can be 45 million quid. Don't get it. Um, also, something I didn't get at the time was why Manchester United offered Eric Bailly a new contract at the end of not the season just gone, but the season before that. Um, now they want to get rid of him. West Ham, the most interested Premier League side. Is he a Premier League quality defender, Matt, do you think? And and let, I want you to take your Man City hat off here. We've we've seen times where Eric Bailly has been good. Do you think West Ham, it, it would be a good fit for him, for example? Well, the kind of defender he is, he's very erratic, Eric Bailly. You see him make a lot of stupid errors and just like, just like he's had disconnects from his body and you don't know what he's going to do next. And he can come up with moments of sheer brilliance. And I've seen him make some amazing tackles, some, some, amazing recoveries and he is fit and he's quick but then he's just got that in his locker just to, to, to plant one in his own net or make a stupid tackle last ditch it, you know it reminds me loads of David Luiz remember yeah. when he was at Chelsea yeah, yeah. where I mean he, he had a whole season where he just looked like the best defender in the league and then all of a sudden he'd you know and he'd be able to score free kicks and, and play ridiculous passes from the back through to the strikers, but then he'd go and let himself down. Just, yeah, yeah, score an own goal or miss the ball so or do something. If ridiculous. he goes to West Ham, he's going to be playing under a different coach and David Myers, who's a little bit more sort of like with his his defense a little bit more solid thinking maybe. So maybe he can get that out of him. Maybe Moise could get that out of him. Who knows? I mean, I don't think he's got a place now at Manchester United. I don't think he's. He's he's been there for a number of seasons now, and I don't think United fans are overly confident whenever he's picked in the starting eleven. So I think that just goes to show you what he's done with his time there. It's not worked out for him, but I'm not saying he's not a Premier League quality defender. I'm just saying he's got that in his locker just to let himself down. So maybe he goes to West Ham, 
and he rebuilds himself and he rejuvenates himself and all of a sudden he becomes the player that United thought they were going to get. So it's up to Eric Bailly, but if I was him, I'd definitely accept the offer and you know, and just get on my bike and get out of there. <laughs> it wouldn't be surprising if he did ride a bike all the way down to London. Seems like the sort of guy <laughs> that would do that. Um, Eric Bailly, possibly on his way to West Ham. There are plenty of other interested parties from across Europe as well in the Manchester United defender. West Ham, though, probably do need a centre-back after the departure of Issa Diop. Right then, lads, we've reached the end. Um, there was no tables, ladders and chairs involved, so well done. Um, fair play all <laughs> round. And uh, we'll catch you on the next episode of Football Social Daily. Appreciate your time. Don't forget to hit subscribe. That way you won't see, uh, you won't miss another episode of the show again. You also won't miss Football Social Daily Shots, which is our bite-sized podcast bringing you up to date with all the other news that we might not have spoken about on today's episode of the show. So keep an ear out for that. But that's it from myself, Matt and Marley today. We'll speak to you again soon on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.